Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Priority Status by J Public Relations. I'm Alexandra Cahoon, PR Account Manager at JPR's London office. Today we dive into a discussion on travel trends and what lies ahead for the industry as restrictions begin to lift. Joining me is Jenny Southern, editor, founder and CEO of Globetrender, the UK's leading travel trend forecasting agency and online magazine dedicated to the future of travel. With the world changing at such a fast pace, Globetrender is a go-to resource here at JPR, providing valuable trend insights which are always so ahead of the curve, meticulously researched and trustworthy. Jenny is also an award-winning freelance travel journalist who contributes to publications including The Telegraph and Condé Nast Traveller on some of the most cutting-edge topics in travel today. In today's episode, our conversation touches upon various themes including wellness, food and beverage, sustainability and technology, along with their respective trend forecasts. From crypto trips and vaccine VIPs to blue zones and carbon labelling, Jenny shares her expert knowledge on all of these areas and more. And with that, thank you for listening. Let's get started. Hi, Jenny, and welcome to Priority Status by J Public Relations. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course. So at JPR, we're longtime fans of your travel journalism and specifically your travel trend forecasting platform, Globetrender, which is an incredibly valuable resource to our entire agency and clients across the globe. So to give our listeners some context, please could you just sort of tell us how you got to this place in your career and what your background is? Absolutely, and thank you so much for your support and interest. I studied philosophy at university and had really no idea about what I wanted to do in terms of a career. I knew I wanted to travel. So I moved to Tokyo and spent a year out there teaching English to housewives and kids and businessmen. At the time, I was blogging about my experiences. I was going to smoky little internet cafes in the middle of the night and writing about my experiences of living and working out there. Through doing that, I realized that I really wanted to become a travel journalist and set about going after that. So I moved back to London and did a postgrad diploma in journalism at the London School of Journalism. And through there, it was a sort of series of serendipitous kind of encounters that led me to getting a job on um, Business Traveller magazine. So one of my tutors put me in touch with the editor and I started doing an internship with them and just was really lucky that they offered me a job. And I spent 10 years at Business Traveller magazine. I mean, it was definitely a dream job for me. I did lots and lots of writing. I got to travel business class, flying all around the world, staying in incredible hotels, writing and researching really, really interesting features, doing hotel reviews. It just gave me an amazing grounding in magazine journalism, but also online journalism and how the travel industry worked and building up my contact database. And sort of later on in in my career at Business Traveller magazine, I launched Globetrender as an online magazine about the future of travel. It was just a side project, really. But it was something I, over time, I became more and more obsessed with. 
and excited about. And I sort of had noticed that trends were becoming a trend. You know, they are becoming a commodity. This was about six years ago. So Globe Trender was a side project for two or three years. And then I went freelance, I left the magazine and decided that I really wanted to grow Globe Trender as a business, to build it as a travel trend forecasting agency, because there just isn't anything like this out there. You know, there were lots of incredible established trend forecasting agencies, but not any that I've come across that specialize and focus on travel specifically. So I just really saw this as an amazing opportunity. And yeah, this is sort of where I'm at now, you know, and I'm still writing as, you know, in the capacity of a freelance journalist for other titles, such as Telegraph and Condé Nast Traveller. And I still have a relationship with Business Traveller magazine. But yeah, I'm just at that point now with growing Globetrend as a business and finding that it's this incredible sort of exciting field to be working in, especially now during the pandemic, which is really weird because it's obviously an incredibly tough time for the travel industry. But for Globetrender, it's presented amazing opportunities because suddenly everyone wants to know what the future of travel is. Yeah, of course. That's a really interesting story, Jenny. Thanks so much. And from starting in Tokyo, it sounds like you're really well traveled and your experiences across the globe have set you up well with um, what you do today and diving into trends. That's such an exciting space isn't it oh absolutely what I sort of love about it is well my journey as I've described it's it's sort of been one where all these experiences have connected and proved valuable in some kind of way and fed into something else and it's grown and developed and like I've often done things without knowing where they're going to lead sure and that's a bit like trend forecasting it's sort of if you are interested in the world and interested in experiences and ideas and what's new, it takes you on an interesting journey, I find. And that's where trim forecasting comes in. It's, um, yeah. Absolutely. And you've sort of produced trend reports for some of the world's most prestigious travel companies. And as you mentioned just now, you also contribute to Condé Nast Travelers trend pages and also the Telegraph Travels trend pages. And just to add on some of the most insightful topics in travel today, whether that be isolation vacations or private island takeovers, can you just tell us a bit about the data you use to base those findings on? What are you looking for to make a trend? What people, I think, need to understand is that there are two types of data, really, quantitative and qualitative data. So quantitative data or quant data, which is easy to say, is measurable. It's numerical. It's about percentages and statistics and probabilities. So market research companies work in the field of quant data. They do consumer surveys, for example, to find the answers to questions such as like how many, how often and how much. The other kind of data is qualitative, and it is data that approximates and characterizes. It is non-statistical. It focuses on more a more narrative process, if you like, based on right. interviews and opinions and desk-based research. It reveals findings that can't be represented by statistics and graphs and pie charts. So Globe Trender is a trend forecasting agency. We're not a market research company. So we're really interested in both kinds of data, but We certainly don't rely solely on numerical quantitative data. We feel that surveys, for example, only give you a snapshot of consumer sentiment in one particular window of time. They don't show you the whole picture. 
you can't just rely on surveys and historical data such as booking patterns to predict the future. You know, those things exist in the past. Trend forecasting is a much richer and more intuitive and creative process. And at the root of it is observation of innovation. All trends begin with innovation. So by monitoring and measuring the uptake of innovation in travel or in society, we can predict the behavior of people in the future. We definitely work with companies that will provide us with surveys with our future of business travel report that we published last year we did a big consumer survey and we felt that was important to gauge consumer sentiment in the middle of the pandemic to find out how they actually felt about business travel but alongside that we did a lot of other research to build on top of it and to really really inform those trends because our trends they need to be substantial they can't be just little blips like little anomalies they need to be useful yeah, to the travel industry they need to be reflect what's going to happen over the next 6 months to a year two years five years 10 years we need to gather a lot more than just quantitative data if all that makes sense it's <laughs> quite a big subject no, it, it really does thanks jenny and it's sort of really fascinating to hear about the two types of data that you speak about and you know there's a whole process in terms of how a trend is identified you know it's not just something we look at and you know say it's a trend there's a real process behind that yes exactly and and we do have a simple sort of rule for trend forecasting which is if you see you know an example of something once then we would say well, it's an anomaly. If you see an example of something twice, well, it's a coincidence. If it's you observe it three times, it's a trend. And that's like a neat little formula that we use when we're doing our trend forecasting. And as I say, when you're looking for trends, when you're spotting trends, you're always looking for that innovation as the starting point. And for those that are interested, there's this sort of graph that's called the diffusion of innovation curve, and it maps the lifespan of a trend. It shows how trends are adopted by the public. So the early adopters will be in a minority. You know, they will be the people that the first to go out and buy a new iPhone or try a new social media platform like Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. We see how uptake of that innovation then is adopted by more mainstream members of society and then eventually it's the laggards right at the end which are again in the minority and so this is just quite an interesting way of mapping how trends work. Yeah absolutely so just going back to what you were saying briefly about having the anomalies the coincidences and the trends yeah when you see something three times and sort of establish that this could be a trend is that when you do your digging and you know do your research? Yeah well (laughs) The editorial content on globetrender.com is really all news about innovation. So our research starts there, mm-hmm. these anomalies, if you like. Yeah. We're always looking at what innovation is happening in travel. So, you know, a good example is a story we published recently on the Andaz Hotel in Singapore, which has been offering unbundled room rates in a similar way to airlines, whereby you pay more for added extras such as access to the swimming pool and the gym which previously would have been included in the price. So this is 
interesting innovation. We wrote about that as a news story. I wouldn't say it's a trend yet, but we're we're going to be seeing how that plays out because I think that it could become a trend. I think it's something that could catch on in the same way as it has for airlines. Perhaps, why not for hotels? Like lots of people go stay in hotels and never use the gym. So why are you being charged for it? We will definitely be looking like for other hotels that are doing this. And if it emerges, say over the next year, that we've seen another couple of hotels that are doing this, maybe for a future trend report, well, that's, yeah, as you say, where we'll do start to do more digging and it might end up making it into one of our trend reports. Great. That's really interesting to hear, you know, that the sort of future of travel could be quite different in terms of, you know, what we're sort of paying to have as a consumer and what facilities, you know, we're going to experience. Yeah. Now, sort of starting broadly, I'd love to run over some general post-pandemic travel trends with you. Obviously, it's been such a challenging year and so changing as well for many in the industry. But do you think there'll be a type of travel that will emerge strong from the pandemic? For example, might there be a category that will soar over the next few months, whether this be affordable travel, luxury travel, outdoor travel, adventure travel? What, where do you think we're headed? I would say that luxury travel is going to be what takes off first. Now, this is because travel is going to become really complicated and costly, like simply getting out of the country is going to be very expensive when you factor in all of these COVID tests that you have to get like before and after you travel, special insurance cover, there are all sorts of things that will just make going on holiday much more expensive. And also the fact that hotels and airlines are going to be having to hike prices, probably, although you'll still be able to get good deals. I think the general trend will be to inflating prices because they need to recoup so many losses that they've experienced over the last year. So within the luxury travel sector, obviously, when you're talking about wealthy people, these things aren't a barrier to travel it's fine. They will just pay the money. They will pay for yeah. a luxury, you know, concierge service to manage their trips, to create, work out their itineraries, work out what documentation they need, what forms they need to fill in. All of that stuff is really difficult for the average person to navigate. All of, you know, which countries are open? Is it legal to travel there? Who's on the green list? What happens if it goes amber when you need to go back? Managing hotel quarantine, any of these scenarios that we're all going to have to deal with in the future just really difficult and but if you've got money they can all be handled basically it feels a bit depressing to say it but we wrote a piece recently titled is this the end of budget travel as we know it Mm -hmm. and I think to an extent it is unfortunately travel during the pandemic is a rich person's game you know if you can fly on a private jet and put yourself a lovely villa somewhere for your your family the threat of the virus, you know, you can eliminate a lot of that risk. It's just a lot harder for everybody else. But, you know, of course, where there's a will, there's a way, and there's massive demand for travel. We're all desperate to go on holiday, and people will definitely find a way that they to do it. And, and this is what's interesting is that, obviously, as we all know, staycations, domestic tourism is going to be huge. Like, just look at what's happening in the UK with all of these holiday homes and campsites and things across the UK that are getting booked up. And this is the same, I'm sure, across the world in the US. 
all sorts of countries, people will be looking to take holidays in their own countries and to, as you say, spend time in nature because cities aren't quite so appealing to everybody now. And I think because we've spent so much time in our own homes, we're really craving fresh air, that freedom of being, you know, in forests or being able to go hiking and really experiencing kind of physical activity in a, in a way that we haven't done for so long. So I definitely think we will be seeing a lot more road trips and, and glamping and camping and those kinds of outdoor activities and kind of a return to challenges and adrenaline kind of experiences because people want to feel alive again. You know, it might be kayaking adventures, sleeping under the stars, who knows, surfing, skydiving, all of this stuff, like the thrill of it, thrill of being in a new place will be really top of the agenda. And like you say, with those sort of new sectors like outdoor travel for example we might sort of then start to see new travel companies and new trends emerge from that and within those sectors yeah definitely great so delving into that question a bit further do you think as consumers our travel behavioral patterns have changed and might we see new types of traveler emerge from the pandemic Yes, I mean our travel patterns have, have changed, haven't they? And that we can't <laughs> we can't travel, which is so frustrating. One new type of traveller that we've identified is going to be the vaccine VIP. These are people obviously that have been vaccinated against COVID. So they are going to be the ones that get the most freedom to travel internationally. We will certainly see the arrival of vaccine passports, digital apps that display your vaccine and health status. These are already being developed and tested by airlines and governments around the world. These will be key to unlocking travel. We will certainly see that people who have not had the vaccine, you know, for whatever reason, being able to travel abroad will be very, very much more difficult for them. Of course, there are countries like Greece that are making it clear that they would like to welcome everybody, whether they've been vaccinated or not. But just the fact that there will be undoubtedly extra testing and possibly quarantines that you have to endure if you haven't been double vaccinated, it just means that, yeah, it's just going to be trickier and more expensive. So these vaccine VIPs will be sort of have the red carpet, I think, rolled out for them a bit. Well, that's that's the way it should be. I mean, because why, why restrict people who, you know, they're protected and mm-hmm. hopefully aren't vectors for the, for the virus? I mean, I, I think that is still a, up for debate, but assuming they're not going to be transmitting why restrict their movement no you're right that makes real real sense so gq and the financial times have both reported on a feel-good boom post-pandemic a bit like a new roaring 20s what do you make of this for example might people start spending more money yeah i think they will um i was reading an interesting stat that said that british people whose incomes have remained much the same throughout the pandemic but they're Spending has obviously gone down significantly during lockdown. Yeah. Apparently, collectively, uh, they will have amassed £250 billion wow. in savings. So, yeah, I think people are really going to want to spend. Um, we've mm-hmm. already seen 
this reflected in in the queues outside shops when lockdown has been lifted and just from various surveys and anecdotal evidence I think we all know that travel is one of the things that people most like spending their money on I think once um travel restrictions are eased and people come out of lockdown although there will be some caution amongst perhaps well some demographics in society some people of course will feel cautious and nervous about returning to life outside the home ultimately I think especially for young people there'd just be a great sense of hedonism and wanting to have fun and wanting to enjoy themselves again I think there is definitely going to be a feel-good boom and we really deserve it. I mean, I hope it's going to be the roaring 20s. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And sort of on this same theme of a new roaring 20s, do you think that there'll be any older ways of travel re-emerge, whether that be camping or railway travel, sort of things that have been really popular in past decades? Yeah, I think rail. I mean, there's been a trend that's been simmering for a while, but there's something I read in the news the other day that really struck me and I thought, oh, wow, I think this is a start of something big. France is going to be banning short-haul flights on domestic routes where there are already good rail links. Oh, wow. That's quite a good initiative, really, if you're thinking... It's really good. ...from the environmental perspective. Absolutely, and I'm sure that's central to it. I know in the UK, I feel the price of rail travel is very high. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more expensive to travel by rail than to fly often. (laughs) So that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. But I do think rail travel is an exciting trend. It feels like being able to be in a train carriage where you have a bit more space, where you can enjoy the view, travel at a slower pace, but you're moving, you know, you're seeing changing landscapes. I think it's going to be really appealing to people. Rail journeys are quite romantic and there are all sorts of, you know, on the luxury end, there are all sorts of incredible train journeys that you can book. So I do think that's going to be appealing to people. I think things like agro-tourism, spending time on farms getting your hands dirty helping with harvests learning how to make wine or olive oil how to milk a cow like all of these are back to basics things that we've I think you know if you live in a city you've become really disconnected from especially like you know we're all addicted to our iPhones I mean it's a wonderful antidote to spending all day in front of a laptop and sending emails and that's definitely something we've been monitoring. And there's some really, really wonderful agro-tourism hotels and, and properties that you can stay in, especially in Europe and in the US, I think, as well. There's various platforms I've been looking at where you sort of the Airbnb of the great outdoors, I think Hip Camp is one of them, where you can book a cabin in the woods or stay on a ranch and learn how to be you know, a cowboy and ride horses and doing all that stuff. I think brilliant fun. Um, I think that will really grow in popularity. Um, celestial escapes, you know, I don't know that it's quite an old way of travelling, but I do think it's, it feels old-fashioned and simple, doesn't it, to just light yeah. up the stars. feels like something our ancestors would have done, you know. And I think, again, that kind of thing, like, that it's a luxury now to see really, truly starry skies Somebody that has, I think it was, I can't remember, the founder of an amazing luxury adventure travel company was telling me how 
they arrange trips to places where you can read by starlight. Can you imagine? I mean, I would love to experience that. Oh, wow. How fascinating. <laughs> Another trend we've called meaningful meanderings. So this idea of almost like uh, secular pilgrimages, long, yeah. long walks. And we've called it meaningful, meaningful meanderings because I think it's meditative and it's therapeutic and we've all experienced mass PTSD, like grief, trauma from this pandemic. And it's ongoing. And it's, I think, sort of the idea of going on these long walks, these long hikes, will be curative and restorative for people. And also yacht charters, you know, setting sail, a voyage. Yeah, it's an old way of traveling, isn't it? The original way of traveling, really, setting sail. Completely, (laughs) the original. Yeah, and I think, again, it's perfect because you can be in your own bubble, can't you, on a yacht? It doesn't have to be an expensive big ship. It could be something smaller, simpler. It could be a day charter. It could be a week. But I think being on a boat, being on the open sea, swimming in water, going to be wonderful I think a lot of people will be going seeking out that kind of trip yeah that's a really good point and it sounds like it's the simplicity of these ways of travel that are so appealing sort of from the railway to the agrotourism you know going back to basics is what people are seeking by the sounds of it yes definitely so I've noticed a recurring theme in your globe trender reports about remote working working from hotels and workations Do you see this continuing after the travel restrictions have lifted? Absolutely. Obviously, uh, people will be returning to the office. And I think after having spent a long time having to work from home, people have realised the downsides to working from home and the challenges. You know, it's isolating. It can be lonely. It's very difficult to feel creative when you're in the same four walls all day long and all night. Not everyone has a good chair and a desk and a work dedicated workspace. A lot of people might just have a bedroom. They might live in a house share. Childcare is difficult. If your kids are running around, it's really hard to work. So I think a lot of people obviously will be looking forward to returning to the office, but we'll be working in a more hybrid way. I think people will be going back part-time into the office. They'll be remote working some of the time and there'll certainly be offices are going to be downsized companies don't need everybody in all the time and it's really expensive to have these big offices so you know a smaller office or co-working space will definitely be the future because remote working has proved to be effective we've all become used to doing zoom calls and virtual events and all these kinds of things, it means that there's no debate now. Like company bosses, they know that they can trust their employees. They have to trust their employees. It's not about presenteeism. It's about productivity. Yeah. And, yeah, this just opens up all sorts of possibilities for working from anywhere rather than working from home. And this is on globetrender.com. We have we created a, a new section on the website called Working From Anywhere, WFA. You know, that was last spring when we set up that section digital nomadism is a trend that we've been writing about and living for for years so it's really exciting to see how this trend has now entered the mainstream well and truly and so yeah as you mentioned i mean look hotels are, are tapping into this trend for workations in an interesting way and i definitely think that that will continue after travel restrictions have lifted because 
because travel is going to be complicated, I think people won't be doing lots of short hops either for holidays or for work, you know, day and back to Brussels for a meeting. You know, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. But what I think they will be doing is, I mean, extended periods abroad either to work, you know, spend a month in Brussels or wherever it is, Lisbon, or combining it with holidays. So going out to California and remote working, but also exploring the area, having some downtime, time with family and doing that, whatever, a couple of times a year or whatever's necessary. But it's a blended experience. People are working at night. They're working in the day. They're, the work-life balance isn't a sort of like nine to five, then you clock off and then you have your free time in the evening. It's you get up early, you do some work, then you go out for a hike then you come back you have lunch and you work the afternoon and you do some emails before bed it's a lifestyle now it's absolutely so yeah it's just quite exciting yeah I mean working patterns have changed so much haven't they and it's really sort of thought-provoking what you were saying about the hotels and you know them really adapting their offering so yeah really one to watch over the next few months yeah Absolutely. And something I'd love to talk to you about with so many of our podcast listeners being based in the United States is your thoughts on reports that the US should be one of the first countries on the UK's green list. And just yesterday, actually, aviation chiefs from the likes of BA, Virgin and Heathrow, they encouraged a swift reopening of a travel corridor with the US. So from this, do you think it could be that traditional Mediterranean destinations and Europe generally will be overshadowed by the USA this summer? Interesting. Yeah, I'm so hopeful that there'll be a travel corridor between the UK and the US. The US is definitely one of my favourite destinations. There's just so much to see and so much to explore. It has so many different kinds of landscapes and climates and cities and coastline and it's just a wonderful wonderful destination so yeah I mean it's a brilliant place to go on holiday I think the tricky thing is it's it's a very different proposition as a holiday destination for people from the UK to the Mediterranean it's just a different kind of experience sure and you've got to understand obviously it's longer haul as well you know to get to New York is maybe seven hours or something from London, but obviously to go further is a really long flight compared to two, three, four hours to a Mediterranean destination from the UK. And for families, I think, especially during the pandemic, it's going to be a little bit daunting to do a long haul flight and expensive. So I do think the Mediterranean ticks all of those boxes, you know, they're familiar And I think familiarity for a lot of certainly just families, let's say, is going to be high on the agenda. They want the reassurance of maybe going back to a destination they've been on holiday to before. And there's obviously a lot of emphasis from those countries like Portugal, Spain, Cyprus, Greece. They're really, really going to try and make it as easy as possible for people from the UK to come. But that said, I think there's a huge, huge swathe of people that will be extremely excited to go to the US and happy to spend time in cities 
and also just fly into a US city and use it as a jumping off point for heading uh, to some of the most amazing national parks, doing a road trip, you know, hiring an RV, doing all those kind of awesome things. And so, yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity here for the US to win some new customers some people that maybe haven't really traveled to the US before um, because suddenly it's going to be on the green list with any luck and therefore a really viable option and also just to welcome back people that have been to the US many times before and will be you know New York whatever Miami is going to be top of the list of of places to return to or, or even heading to somewhere new maybe they'll want to go to Utah because they've been reading about the amazing Aman Jiri camp that they've got yeah. out there or or something like that you know the, the US is always written about in the British travel media there's also some incredible hotels opening and experiences to have so and obviously again it, it does tick that familiarity box because of the language you feel like you're going to be looked after if you know worst case scenario you've got ill or something you know so you've got travel insurance it's a country that you feel you'll be okay in if something went wrong. Whereas obviously maybe other countries you might not feel as secure in going to. The future's looking bright. Absolutely. And that's a really good point you make about how this could really be the time for the US to, you know, get those new customers in. Yeah. Obviously, because they don't have the choice, you know, they're limited in where they can go. So yeah, they can head to the US. Definitely. So what do you think the differences will be in travel sentiments for both the UK and US markets? Are we seeing any differences now or are there any differences to come? Yeah, I think generally speaking, the UK and the US are very similar in their outlooks, you know, in general in life, very similar kinds of Western viewpoints and outlooks and attitudes. I do wonder, though, whether people in the UK are desperate to leave the island. I think a lot of us feel very hemmed in and desperate to get across the channel and overseas, essentially. (laughs) Um, We we know we can't rely on the weather in our own country for a good holiday. And obviously, domestic tourism will be big because that's just going to be the the only option for a lot of people. But ultimately, I think the travel sentiment for people in the UK will be they will want to travel internationally. And this is just speculative and sort of based on my own intuition and observation. But because of the scope of experiences and types of trips you can have within the US, there won't be the same desire to leave the country. I think it just makes more sense. While things are so precarious and travel is so stressful, you know, I mean, international travel is so stressful getting out of the country, figuring out the the rules and regulations and the quarantine requirements and the testing. Why not just take a domestic flight somewhere else in the US? You can have a totally different experience to what you have at home normally, totally different climate. And I know a lot of the US carriers, their route networks have been devastated by the pandemic. But what they're really putting effort into is growing their domestic networks rather than launching lots of new international routes absolutely they know people are going to be wanting to fly and it makes sense so yeah I think in that respect the travel sentiment is going to be quite different yeah no that's a really valuable insight thanks Jenny so from living in Los Angeles earlier in your career do you think this informed your outlook a bit more as you talk about trends in Globetrender and in your travel journalism 
It's a good point. And yeah, I think it has really informed my outlook, sort of living as a digital nomad in LA for a couple of months. I spent a month there when I was pregnant with my daughter. Yeah, I loved living that sort of untethered existence Mm -hmm. in a global city that's highly creative. And when I was out there, I was researching a piece for, I think it was Business Traveller magazine, but also for City AM. On, I was writing a piece on on how LA has sort of become the most creative city in the US. It's where tons of innovation is happening. Even people from New York are moving to LA because of how creative it is, the opportunities that are out there, and of course the climate, <laughs> which is just yeah. wonderful, sunshine almost every day. And then I, yeah, also went back uh, when my daughter was born and spent another month down on Venice Beach. Previously, I was up in the Hollywood Hills, so it was really nice to have that yeah. contrasting experiences. And yeah, I would just say like walking around downtown LA, you can literally see and feel the innovation in the air. The you know all these amazing artist studios and lofts and galleries and interesting independent stores and really cool street art and like breweries and it's just such a hotbed for trends you know and obviously practically every cool restaurant if you go there you'll try some interesting new dish and Mm -hmm. I remember the first time years ago when I went to LA and it was like oh kale and that was like (laughs) before kale became such a trendy food in here you know this is where the food trends start almost always so looking at what is happening in a city and living alongside you know people in a city like that is just so inspiring and it's really interesting to see you know where these trends are emerging and to sort of notice when you go to a coffee shop and there's something weird that they put in the coffee and you think, ah, I bet this is going to catch. I'll see this in London in six months or a year. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it was great. Six months behind. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously as well, just because it's such an international city. I mean, I spent my 37th birthday there and ended up having about 20 friends from London show up at our Airbnb in Venice. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, they're all out there yeah. for like work of holiday. It's just all yeah. uh, they're living there. Like it's just a kind of place that draws people in. I had a Oscar-winning movie producer there, an actress, musician. There was a member of BA work. cabin crew, various <laughs> magazine editors and journalists. And I was like, wow, I just wonder where else on earth that this would be happening so it's a very cool place and I love LA and I I, yeah I'm really looking forward to going back it's definitely high on my list of places to return to soon yeah it sounds like it really is the place to be I'll have to get there myself (laughs) (laughs) definitely moving on to a hugely important topic I'd love to get your insights on and that's sustainability obviously so important to so many industries and of course is highlighted just next week with Earth Day on the 22nd of April but it should be something everyone is considering now, especially in the travel industry all the time. And one of the lessons we've learned over the past year or so is to never take travel for granted. So as we return to travel, many travellers are saying, oh, I'm going to be a better traveller, I'm going to travel more responsibly. So what sustainability movements and practices do you think we'll see emerge? Well, Obviously, it's an enormous topic and we could probably speak for an entire hour just about this. Mm. But, um, okay, just to be 
specific, I think carbon labeling is going to be an interesting trend that we're going to look look at and we're going to see. So in the same way that we have labels on our food that indicate this nutritional content, the calorie content, how much sugar and salt and things is in it, I think we're going to see airlines and travel companies applying these carbon labels to the trips that they're selling and the flights that they're selling so that individuals will get a much greater sense of the impact of their journey on the environment. Yeah, sounds like it's really important. I think this is something we're going to see. But what I hope doesn't happen is that travel companies use that as a way of making travellers feel like the responsibility is really on them to change the world and fix these problems because they can't there's really a limited amount that an individual can do yeah of course like taking a train instead of a plane and maybe not doing so many flights in a year you know that helps and that's it's important to be responsible as an individual but what really has to happen is that travel companies are the ones that need to make the changes and improvements on the behalf of travellers. And in doing so, they will win custom. People do want to feel that they are, you know, as consumers, if they're given a choice, they will, I think, almost always choose, you know, the hotel that is more ethical and more environmentally sensitive. But it's just very difficult for anybody to know when something is being greenwashed you know who's Mm -hmm. really really taking it seriously and who is just trying to be seen as sustainable so you know I think there's just an enormous amount of work that needs to be done and it needs to be taken very seriously and there needs to be action not talk not sending out loads of press releases to say oh we've planted one tree or, yeah. you know, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Just And if, if you're going to do it, just do it. It shouldn't have to be a news story. It should just be something. All these things need to be done as standard. Absolutely. And make it the new normal. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that sort of answers the question to an extent. It does. And it sounds like, you know, by companies giving the consumers a helping hand, that will really help them make better choices. Yeah. You know, if they're doing it, you know, the customer might take it back to, you know, the next hotel they travel to and choose a better option when they travel. You know, when you think about the question of how can you ever say that travel is sustainable, you know, somebody will ask that question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can you say that flying long haul to an eco resort in wherever, the Maldives or South America or something, how is that okay? Like, yes, you've booked an eco resort, but you've flown like across the world to get there like how is that sustainable you know I think that that is a valid point but of course there's so much more complexity to it and there's so many benefits on communities and global trade and commerce tourism is so vital to economies around the world like there's so much more to it but I do wonder whether at least carbon offsetting as standard by every single travel company and every single airline should be just something that's just done now, tomorrow, you know, today. Like, yeah. it's not going to solve everything, but it would make a difference if that was done. Yeah, it really would be a change for the better, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be a step, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I hope that's something we see. 
along with everything else as well every <laughs> every other measure and every other step completely yeah in one of your recent Globe Trender articles, you reported that the majority of Gen Z consumers want to travel more responsibly. Why do you think it is that younger people prioritise this more than other groups? They've grown up or they've come of age in a world where they've got access to information that previous generations didn't have. They are plugged into what is happening globally through social media, through news through incredible documentaries that are being streamed on Netflix, things like that. You know, they're so much more informed than other generations were, certainly boomers. So millennials are incredibly informed as well. But Gen Z, I think, uh, have this real activist spirit. They've got incredible role models in their peer group, such as Greta Thunberg. They just feel very, very strongly about what's right and wrong and just you know, idealistic. Young people are always idealistic. I think they feel that they can change the world. And I really hope they, well, they will, they will change the world. They will. They're so powerful and they have so much potential. And I don't see the travel industry taking this group of consumers seriously. I mean, they're, you know, the potential there is incredible. And the thing is that they all grow up, you know, The person who's 18 right now in a few years is going to be 20, then 25, then 30. You need to understand who this consumer is now because they're going to be your customers of tomorrow. Even if your guests aren't typically 18 or 20 or 25 now, one day they might be. So you need to understand who they are and what they want and act now to prepare for the years to come. By doing more to be sustainable they will attract gen z consumers but of course like with everything it's it's so much more complicated than that and when we did this gen z report i spoke to a lot of young people to really just have a conversation with them and understand how they do think about the travel because it's all very well to say they want to travel more responsibly. I'm sure we'd all say we'd like, or most of us would say we'd like to travel more responsibly, but there's a difference there with with the intention and what you actually do. You know, a young person who hasn't been to Paris before or hasn't been to New York before, you know, I think there'll still be that desire to do, go to the places that everybody else has been to because they haven't done it yet. There's going to be a lot of contradictions to navigate because what does responsible travel actually even look like yeah really good point and it sounds like young people they are our travelers of the future and you know they need to be taken seriously now because they'll be the ones spending the money in years to come yeah great so expanding on what you were saying just now about sustainability's role I really wanted to narrow this down just a bit further into food and beverage which for so many travellers today, including myself, is a key part of why I choose to go to a specific destination. So with recent eye-opening documentaries like Netflix's Seaspiracy, which has highlighted the environmental impacts of fishing, and that combined with greater awareness of what we eat today as consumers and also what we eat when travelling, how do you predict that menus in the hospitality industry might change? Mm. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I watched that documentary and it blew my mind and made me Mine too. feel so 
devastated and upset and I'm vegetarian and I don't really eat fish and Mm -hmm. I mean it certainly didn't make me feel like I'm off the hook excuse the pun Um, (laughs) with with these issues I mean I was just amazed by that film and I think everybody needs to see it the travel industry needs to take responsibility in this area big time I mean what's encouraging is that obviously we've seen an amazing shift towards vegan menus and veganism in general and vegetarian food you know plant-based cuisine I mean this has become quite a buzzword now and it's brilliant so I think we will definitely see this trend continuing I think one of those other documentaries that came out a few years ago, Cowspiracy, did for beef what Seaspiracy is going to do for fishing and seafood. I think we're going to see consumers, you know, anyone that's seen it now will think very differently when they look at a menu in a restaurant and they will question the use of the word sustainably caught mm-hmm. because what does it mean? And that documentary suggests that there's no such thing. <laughs> so I think and I hope that we will see a lot less fish and seafood on menus and that restaurants will take a lot more responsibility in how they source their fish and seafood and really do the research and really find out. Because although the documentary made me feel like there's no right answer. Mm-hmm. Some fish, you know, is better than others. So yeah. I think there are better choices the hospitality industry can be making. And there's sure. some absolutely shocking, you know, stuff out there that they really shouldn't be buying and shouldn't be supporting. So there will be a, a change in attitude to this. I, I hope there is because it feels mm. very important. Yeah, I think it's definitely needed. And the documentary for me definitely sort of made me a bit more confused about what I've seen or what I've read. And now I've just sort of not been sure about eating fish. And, you know, I think it really will make people think twice. And obviously, restaurants and the travel industry do need to step up, you know, to meet that demand. Yeah. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen restaurants pivot their offering to include meal kits, takeaways, pre-made cocktails, virtual tastings, and so much more. It's actually been really admirable seeing how creative they've been getting. So as restaurants begin to reopen, how do you think luxury dining might look post-lockdown? Might diners be looking for something a little bit more immersive than they did before? Mm. I really feel for the restaurant industry. Um, My brother has a restaurant in Brighton called Med, if anyone wants to go. And, you know, so I've seen firsthand how he's been struggling along with everybody else in the restaurant business. And, yeah, there's been a lot of creativity and a lot of innovation. And that's something to really be applauded. But ultimately, now that they're reopening again, I think it's a bit like the sort of return to more simple ways of traveling people just want to they don't need anything fussy anything gimmicky they just want to have a wonderful meal with friends and family it doesn't have to be complex menus or really elaborate tasting menus I think what people will be looking for is a real sense of conviviality sure they'll accept that you have to scan a QR code with your app when you come in and to, for some kind of government track and trace or something like that and maybe they have to wear, wear a mask when they first 
come in and wait for a table. But beyond that, they don't want to be thinking about the pandemic. They don't want to have their cutlery bought wrapped in plastic. You know, they just want to go to a restaurant that feels safe and where the staff are welcoming and just have a wonderful time and forget about their worries. I think going to a restaurant will be number one on most people's list of things to do after lockdown. I think the outdoor dining trend is great. And I love seeing what's happening in London with all the wonderful terraces and outdoor seating uh, that's been set up. But of course, with our weather, it's uh, (laughs) enough to spend. I think there's going to be a lot of chilly evenings, like shivering in coats while you're Mm -hmm. trying to eat your meal outside in the evening. So I think the return to eating indoors will feel like one of the biggest luxuries (laughs) we have simply eating indoors. We've got summer on the way now, so hopefully some warmer evenings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think restaurants need to be trying too hard to win new customers. People will be queuing up to book. They'll want to be there. They'll just want to have a glass of wine and something delicious to eat. Yeah, it's really interesting. Thanks, Jenny. Now, I'd love to move on to another vital sector of the hospitality industry, and that is wellness travel. So it's pretty clear that this is a very well-established yet growing sector with an industry worth trillions of dollars. So we're seeing hyper-personalization everywhere, but specifically here in spa and wellness. For example, at JPR's hotel clients, Tutan Glen and Cliveden House, they newly offer completely bespoke spa treatments customized to each guest's need. Are there any specific wellness trends which you think are leading the way right now or are there any here to stay? Yes, there is, I would say, a collective desire for self-betterment as we come out of lockdown. And many people are seeing travel as an opportunity to recharge and revitalize and get on top again. I think wellness tourism will be as much about slimming and tanning as healing and nurturing. So Globetrainer, we we certainly predict there'll be a rush to sign up for everything from sleep retreats to heartbreak holidays. This sector is going to continue to grow in all sorts of interesting and exciting ways. And there's really no end, I think, to the possibilities for companies in this sector to really think creatively and to really respond because everyone has been suffering everyone is feeling depleted stressed anxious and they need to go away and come back feeling better than they did before in terms of sort of interesting new trends i think that longevity and even immortality retreats are going to be big. Ooh, These tell are, us about those. Yeah. Just before the pandemic, we launched a future of luxury travel trend report, which um, can be downloaded from our website. And in this report, we highlighted immortality tre- retreats as being a trend. And this sounds pretty ridiculous, but there is a huge movement towards seeking treatments and lifestyle hacks if you like for seriously extending the human lifespan there are a lot of interesting medical hotel spas i mean you can look at clinica prairie in switzerland as really the world leader in this they're offering they're starting to offer really cutting edge science-based treatments for giving people the appearance of youth but also 
genuinely tweaking their bodies in a way that, that will make them healthier in the long term. It's not just about stem cell injections to make the skin look younger. It's about learning from people who live in the world's blue zones. I don't know if you've heard about these places, no, but these are these are places in the world where people have the longest lifespans. So there's a place in, in Sardinia, in Japan's subtropical island of Okinawa. There's a place in California. There's a number of these blue zones around the world where um, scientists have been studying what all of these communities have in common with each other. And it's very interesting to see that obviously things like diet, things like they use a term for it, but these people don't go to the gym. They're active Mm -hmm. throughout the day. You know, they have a a natural sort of fitness and they're out to spend a lot of time outdoors. Anyway, there are just a lot of things that you can learn from these communities. And I think these kind of blue zone wellness trips and experiences are going to become a really big trend. And people not only just wanting to go to those particular destinations to kind of experience it for themselves, but going to maybe a spa or a hotel resort that offers treatments inspired and programs, health programs inspired by Blue Zones. Another trend I think, you know, connected to the hyper-personalization you were talking about is DNA testing. So again, giving a DNA uh, sample on arrival and then getting your results and having them analysed by experts and then a whole program designed for you based on your own specific DNA needs, which is kind of interesting. There's King's Mansion in Goa, India, which is going to be using this technology when it opens Mm -hmm. later this year, I believe. And just one other trend, wellness workations. I think this just makes sense to me. I've seen... um, balance holidays i think it is offer has designed these trips where they're inviting people to come out to a beautiful place to work but they also have a whole cornucopia of amazing health and wellness experiences that they can build into their time away so that they can be productive and start feeling better in themselves at the same time which really appeals to me i think that's what i need yeah it sounds really cutting edge indeed So the final topic I'd love to ask you a question on is technology in travel. Obviously, this is something that has really taken off in the past few decades, but it's also quite new to lots of people too. Specifically, in your new platform, Vault, which you can tell us about shortly, the first issue talks about cryptocurrency as an accepted form of payment when traveling. What do you make of this and what is the future of this? Yeah, well, anyone that is a subscriber to Vault, anyone who's an annual subscriber, in fact, will be able to read that uh, particular newsletter because they'll have access to our archive. But yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting trend and we called it crypto trips. So this idea of people being able to spend their Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency they have in their digital wallet on flights or hotel stays or luxury adventures. What's interesting is obviously there's only a small percentage of the world's population that has cryptocurrency to spend, but we're still talking about millions of people. And there are 
thousands of different cryptocurrencies out there. I mean, I didn't even know that until I started researching it. So I think cryptocurrencies are definitely going to become more widely adopted. More people are going to start buying them, investing in them. And as those people who already own cryptocurrencies see their wealth growing, you know, if you think about how the the value of one Bitcoin has changed over the years from being whatever, just a, uh, you know, like $50 or something in 2014 to $60,000 now for one Bitcoin. There's a lot of people that are sitting on great wealth. And it's a weird kind of situation where it's quite abstract because it's sort of got this value because it's being traded and there's this perceived value to it, but there aren't actually that many ways to spend cryptocurrency. So you can sort of say, what does wealth mean? Unless you can Mm -hmm. spend it, it's quite an abstract thing. So I think we are definitely going to start seeing more opportunities for spending cryptocurrency. And I think travel is just a really obvious outlet for people because well, we all need to travel. And what a great way to spend your money on some kind of amazing luxury villa, or maybe you want to redeem your Bitcoin on a series of private jet flights for work or something like that. Yeah. So building in the systems to accept cryptocurrency payments are going to be something we, I think, travel companies need to really think carefully about i think they would be really smart to start doing that now now we're already seeing examples of of this happening uh, as anyone will that will read this issue of vault will, will discover so yeah it's super super interesting and it's not really on people's radars right now but it really should be yeah it sounds really exciting and definitely something to keep an eye out on exactly so Going back to Vault, Jenny, I'd love you to tell us about this and tell our listeners about this. What have you got lined up for Vault over the next few months? Yeah, brilliant. So Vault is our new members-only premium newsletter. We already send out a weekly innovation briefing, which is free to subscribe to. And this newsletter is paid for. So you can choose from a monthly uh, subscription or you can pay for an annual subscription, which is 30% cheaper. And we have an option for individuals to sign up and teams. So this is very much targeted at people that work in the travel industry, that are professionals, but also that work outside travel. We have a lot of people who are consultants that obviously need to be informed you know, what's happening in travel to be able to work better with their own clients. So we see this as a really interesting opportunity to provide professionals around the world with information about the future of travel in a way that's neatly packaged in the form of a weekly newsletter that focuses on one specific emerging travel trend. This content isn't going to be available on the internet or on any other website. It's fresh it's inspiring there's data in there there's an interview there's a case study and then there's a long form feature about the trend so you're getting a lot of content there every week and so what's also great is that members have access to a community so what we're going to be doing is launching uh, virtual trend briefings for members so throughout the year I'm going to be hosting sessions on zoom whereby 
people can come and hear about other trends that are emerging. We're going to be doing one on 2022 trends quite soon. And yeah, there's just going to be an opportunity, I think, for tapping into these ideas and sharing ideas and also getting editorial coverage on Vault. You know, we're always going to be on the lookout for interesting people in, in the travel industry to interview. We're going to be contacting travel companies for data that they can share. So, yeah, I feel like it'll, it's a really symbiotic kind of relationship that we can have uh, with the industry. You know, we're asking for input from them and we will be able to give back. So, yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. I think it's going to be great. No, it's a really interesting journey. And at JPR, we, we've already signed up and are fans of the content. So um, thank you so keep much. It coming. Definitely. <laughs> really appreciate that. That's okay. Well, thanks so much, Jenny, for these fascinating insights. Really, really ahead of the curve in so, so many ways. And as I said, you know, we're loving your content on Vault and Globe Trender. So, listeners, I really can't recommend enough to sign up for vault and globe trender too it really is one of the best newsletters out there thanks so much again jenny thank you i really enjoyed talking with you today thank you so much